Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Nerdificent. I'm Ify Wadiway, sitting across from me is... Danny Fernandez, and we are joined up top by Mello Brown, who's a writer and tech editor at fanbros.com, and also a writer on American Gods. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Hey! Let's Gucci. And you are also a listener of the show. Yes. Oh, wow. Thank like, I'm you. actually uh, tapping my feet to the theme song now. I love it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know we've had a couple of people ask us about the theme song. I don't know if they can get it somewhere. I mean, there are still people who are asking me what the song is for World Cup Date, and Anna never <laughs> found out. <laughs> and I don't think anyone knows because ever, I've asked Miles, and he kind of brushed it off. <laughs> Well, both of our our artwork and our um our yeah our song were created in house yeah. by someone at House Stuff Works. I imagine in Atlanta in in their in their big. I haven't been over there, but I am one day iffy. Yeah, one day I'll make it out there. Yeah, one day we'll get flown out there yeah, at the big House House Stuff Works headquarters. No, like, just of the never mecca. Came if he went the to Freak Nick for some reason. That's true. I'd probably spend a month. I'd probably spend a month in Atlanta <laughs> if I went out there. Um, today we are talking about the twilight zone hey this is a series that is extremely near and dear to my heart but Mello, did you grow up with it um actually yes what was it uh i've been a long time watcher uh my dad got me into it mm-hmm. and um a lot of the like the socio-political issues hit immediately along with my nightmares so <laughs> true true um off the top of your head what would you say is like your favorite uh, episode i would definitely say uh it's a good life oh yeah like uh, that one is terrifying. What was that? Currently, yeah. <laughs> Currently, that um, yeah. So we'll get into it, but yeah, it's a good life is often referenced because of Donald Trump. But I've seen a lot of political cartoons that have referenced um him and the and the little boy. Yeah, there, um, like you said, we'll get into it a bit later. But there's a sequel to that that makes it even worse. Really? really? Yes. Is it in the original series? It is in uh the the 2002 okay. series. Okay. I don't always count the, like, there was one, yeah, the, we'll get into it, but I don't always count. I count the original Star uh, original Star Wars. I count yeah, the yeah. original Star Here Wars. Here we go. Here we go with your big, you have that whole just petition to remake The Last Jedi. I have my news up and I read. Yeah. Which is also great because. Uh, it, I, I, can't, I, I love that my self, subconscious went there. I love the new Star Wars. I actually do <laughs> very much love the new Star Wars um, because I get to see more people, uh, more women and people of color. I 100% agree. And this vil- the, the villain of that story for the sequel actually is the epitome of a new Star Wars uh, fan. Well, yeah, hardcore <laughs> fan. Uh, if you if they the per- prefer to call themselves that. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so so Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, I thought we'd kick it off with talking just a little bit about Rod Serling's history because I actually found out before I even we cranked out this early uh, additional research to, to the topic, I saw this in a 
on a Twitter thread where he has this quote where Danny Art is shaking her head because she remembers it where he was like, I don't care. I think it was something along the lines of I don't care what it is. I just want my writing remembered. Yes. And uh, to last longer yeah. than me. And which is dope because it is. And it's not only remembered, but it's impactful. And then someone went on and talked about kind of the history of Rod Sterling about how he was a war vet and how he created Twilight Zone because he wasn't allowed to kind of talk about those social issues at the time just so openly. So he did it deceptively through the Twilight Zone. And and that's why I think, uh, and not to be this guy, even though I like all the Black Mirror episodes, mm-hmm. I like them all, mm-hmm. but I feel like the earlier ones are stronger because the earlier ones are mm-hmm. kind of really making that like, yo, technology, we're letting it get ahead of us point. And I feel like the later ones is more just kind of like, I don't want to, you know, undercut a lot of the stories, but, you know, because there are some that really are very like current but I feel like the newer ones are more just kind of adding on, just kind of exploring the idea of the world and uh, story building that they've kind of um, set up. Where those first ones, like it really did feel like Booker was like saying something to us. Funny enough, Booker, normally a comedian, mm. Ron Sterling actually had a comedy background, but uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Uh, I want to start just with the uh, the war because it's very interesting. It's It's almost... Like, you know, when you read some people's uh, biographies and you're like, oh, this is this is going to be a good movie one day. I feel like Rod Serling has one of those. Biographies. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. I guess he hasn't. No one has played him yet, like and officially in a huge uh, film. I agree. He is so instrumental, I feel like, in um, not only science fiction, but just. Yeah, I know that he gets compared. Uh, Black Mirror gets compared a lot to Twilight Zone, yeah. and and that's accurate. And then, and of course, we're gonna um, also visit the fact that Jordan Peele is now making, uh, which I think he's perfect for. Um, yes. It is gonna be on the CBS platform. Yeah, because yes. like Get yeah. Out would have been the perfect like <laughs> like True. episode of Twilight Zone in the same like cutting, just um, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, criticism what i was going to say is actually jurassic park fits a lot people forget but that fits a lot of like yeah yeah, the original jurassic park well and i would say jurassic uh the last one jurassic world fallen kingdom um where they start to kind of or or they uh, hint at using dinosaurs as weapons that to me is also kind of like what would we do with this technology um where it could also be like a black mirror episode but yeah rod as far as me like i grew up with the twilight zone marathons (laughs) uh my parents would party and essentially (laughs) leave us alone uh on new year's eve we'd watch it on sci-fi my brothers and i i now um if he has been to my place uh mellow you are welcome to come to my place i have a Twilight Zone wall, oh, um, which I will tweet uh, with different uh, artwork and original artwork that's signed by artists. I have Rod Serling up there. I have um, many of the episodes, uh, including one of the most famous ones, which is Eye of the Beholder. But also uh, I had an artist, uh, a lot of the other ones don't have as much artwork. So I commissioned an artist to do uh, my favorite. Well, it changes as the years go on, but my favorite is uh, The Howling Man is one of my absolute favorite episodes. Uh, and also Satan's kind of hot. He's kind of hot in it. Uh, <laughs> he is. He looks good. Um, so, yeah. So let's talk about the history of Rod Serling. Yeah. I was. I, I just wanted to start in high school. He, funny enough, he's always been a writer. Not funny. I mean, just, I guess, as expected. Always, uh, he was writing for the school newspaper, and he was kind of like amped up about World War II, and he was kind of encouraging other students to enlist. And he actually wanted to enlist before he graduated, but then it was actually his civics teacher Gus Youngstrom who said, uh, "War is a temporary thing; it ends, and education doesn't. And without your degree, where will you be after the war?" So he actually finished school, graduated, <laughs> and as soon as school ended, enlisted. Now. There's a fun detail in his enlistment that kind of really, I think, sets up who Rod Serling is. So originally he was sent to um, California, which meant he was going to fight the Japanese instead of, you know, the the Germans. And he was actually angry about it because he wanted to fight Hitler. And so, so he was like, forget the Japanese. I need to fight this guy, this horrible, bigoted, racist guy like that's who he wanted and i feel like that kind of set the tone for his life eventually he 
actually grown bitter about the war because it it seemed like such a young thing to do to be like, oh, I'm going to go join the army. I'm going to fight the bad guys. But he found out that, you know, he was seeing death every day. And mm-hmm. then he, there were a lot of freak accidents. There was this huge freak accident. Like there was um, there was a Jewish private named uh, Melvin Levy. And Levy was delivering a comic monologue for the platoon as it as like he was standing under a palm tree. And a food crate was dropped from a plane above and it decapitated him. Mm. And so uh, mm-hmm. Serling actually led the funeral services for Levy and placed the Star of David over his grave. So, like, not only are you seeing the death of the war, but you're also seeing freak accidents like that. I can imagine that's not only kind of making you bitter towards the war, but that I feel like there's no way to not have this kind of morbid kind of creative thought when you see things like that you know like yeah i would say also during the time um i i think like you were saying too that he was exposed to this idea of good versus evil and Mm -hmm. then evil not necessarily being evil or are we the evil actually um was something that i think that he tackled a lot pretty often um uh human nature as well as during this time just the amount of racism that he saw was definitely influential in his writing and something that's really fascinating is we can we can link this in our footnotes but i watched a youtube video of him a couple years ago uh that sounded weird it wasn't a youtube video of him it was him doing an interview that was uploaded on youtube <laughs> hey what's up it's rod Sterling hey, uh, here you guys like subscribe <laughs> uh uh uncle rod doing an unboxing vid uh here <laughs> watching it. can you imagine can you can you imagine him like doing uh having a selfie stick oh, oh man who wants you that tz loot box coming I would, in you know? I, would, <laughs> I would love to see him nowadays like his commentary on us um would be so fast his daughter is still alive um but uh what i was gonna say is i watched a video on youtube of him where he was talking about censorship and how cbs had censored the writers and and what they were trying to get away with and a lot of the times uh of course his commentary was on on people of color and the treatment of people of color uh in marginalized groups in general where they would end up having to make them like an alien or a you know a monster or something for you to like feel for them because they weren't they weren't able to to make them people of color and uh he actually says uh that you eventually start to censor yourself where you're not even writing those stories so if you already know it's it's kind of fascinating like the brain will just start to censor and and not even create those stories anymore it was it's a really fascinating interview and we'll link it but yeah, he ended up volunteering at WNYC in New York as an actor and writer in the summer of 1946. And then the next year, he worked at a station as a paying intern in uh, Antioch Work Study Program and then took a couple of odd jobs in other radio stations in New York and Ohio. He said, I learned time writing for a medium that is measured in seconds. He also worked at the Antioch Broadcasting Systems Radio Workshop and was managing the station within a couple of years. Dan, look, he's moving up. Yeah, yeah. He was a hard worker. Uh, He wrote and directed the programs and acted in them as well. Um, This is kind of fascinating. So I actually read uh, The Twilight Zone Companion. Highly recommended. There's a couple of different Twilight Zone uh, books out there. Have you read that one, Mello? No, I haven't. Oh, I think you would like it. There's so much behind the scenes for each. They go through each episode so i actually got it on audible and i would listen to it when i would clean and and drive and stuff but it's behind the scenes of like how did this get made how this almost didn't get made Mm -hmm. other freak accidents that happened uh in the episodes uh and also he didn't write all of them Mm -hmm. um i know a lot of people think that he wrote all of them but a lot of them were actually bought from uh they were teleplays Mm -hmm. or they might have been a short story in a magazine and he would buy the rights to it and then uh adapt it uh, sometimes he would, and and then he had other people working on his team as well. And I can imagine, like he wrote like an insane amount. I believe at the age of thirty seven, he had written forty eight or forty nine episodes. By that point, he was like, okay, I finally need another writer. Yeah, yeah, and well, he just wanted to be a writer. Yeah. I don't know if you know that, but they talked about that in the book where he just wanted to be a writer uh, for the Twilight Zone, and he didn't intend to be the host. And look at him, like you are the perfect host. You're like <laughs> handsome, but you're creepy, and you're like stern and have like a parental thing to you, but you're also like, you know, ominous. And uh, yeah, I, I think and he has gorgeous lush eyebrows. Um, so yeah, he, but originally he actually just wanted to be a writer and he didn't, because when he was hosting, he didn't have an acting, like he didn't have as much time to dedicate to writing. Uh, and I know that that bothered him. 
Ah. But uh, hopping back into the past. (laughs) While in college, Serling won his first accolade as a writer. The radio program Dr. Christian has started an annual script writing contest eight years earlier. Thousands of scripts were sent in annually, but very few can actually be produced. So uh, Serling won a trip to New York City and $500 for his radio script to live a dream. He and his new wife attended the awards broadcast on May 18th of 1949, where he and the other winners were interviewed by the star of Dr. Christian, Gene Herschel. One of the other winners that day was Earl Hamner Jr., who also earned prizes in previous years, and later Hamner wrote scripts for Serling's The Twilight Zone. Also, I just want to drop this fun fact. Uh, $500 in 1949 has the same buying power as $5,114 has today. That's nice. So like a nice little, yeah. you know, nice yeah, he, little something. He came up. I, I mean, you get that much in college, you're like, hold up. That's true. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Like, hold up. We're about to throw a, a, a dorm party. Oh, I would love to see Rod Serling uh, partying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if uh, any of those cigarettes, who's always, if any of them were blunts ever. You never know. Uh, so Serling said of his time as a staff writer for radio, from a writing point of view, radio ate up ideas that might have put food on the table for weeks at a future freelancing date. The minute you tie yourself down to a radio or TV station, you write around the clock. You rip out ideas, many of them irreplaceable. They go on and consequently can never go on again. Oh, and God, you sold yes. them for $50 a week. Gosh, and he was saying that back then. I mean, that seems small to us, but yeah. yeah, you can't afford to give away ideas. They're too damn hard to come by. If I had to do it over, I wouldn't staff write at all. I'd find some other way to support myself while getting a start as a writer. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm like going through a midlife crisis as we're, as we're discussing this right now. Yes. I no. know. <laughs> How many writers in our lives do you think would agree with this as well, that you're kind of just giving your ideas over to a studio for like such little pay? Yeah. And, and especially his, because he was so like transformative like the the thought that he wrote 49 scripts by himself and all of them anthology episodes is pretty much on the equivalent of like you wrote a pilot like twice a week yeah so we'll we'll just jump all the way to what we're here to talk about which is uh the twilight zone and it had an interesting kind of start it just kind of shows you how uh old hollywood used to work Uh, i don't think the wga existed at this point because uh (laughs) serling submitted the time element to cbs uh, intending it to be a pilot for his new weekly show the twilight zone but instead cbs used the science fiction script for a new show produced by desi arnaz and lucille ball the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse in 1958. The story concerns a man who has vivid nightmares of an attack on Pearl Harbor. The man goes to a psychiatrist and after the session, the twist ending, a device which Serling became known for, reveals the patient had died at Pearl Harbor and the psychiatrist was the one actually having the vivid dreams. The episode received so much positive fan response that CBS agreed to let Serling go ahead with his pilot for the Twilight Zone. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my work that you yanked for me did so well that you agreed to let me keep making this thing that people are excited about. I'm sorry, I couldn't stop laughing at the idea of Lucille Ball in this like serious yeah. drama. These <laughs> <laughs> dreams! Uh, what, what's so interesting here is that that's such a sandwich and it's such a perfect like wrap up to who Sterling was in Into Twilight Zone because I mean dreams about a a World War II like he said the war left him with nightmares. So this is really him like just the beginning of him taking what he was actually dealing with, putting it on paper, and then making it into something amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I also just wanted to be like, what a twist. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was all of the No, not all of them, but that was a lot of his. Yeah. Um, his most famous ones, I feel like, had a pretty big twist. Um, and some of them I still feel like you can't always tell. Some of them you can tell, but some of them you can't. Yeah. Uh, and so that was always my favorite things about a lot of the – he was just so – what a fascinating, interesting man. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the Twilight Zone. Um, after these messages? Sh- yeah, let's do it after these messages. <laughs> this is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Relax and unwind tonight with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy work week flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome back to Nerdificent. We are joined by Mello Brown, and we are talking about The Twilight Zone. Um, what would you say is your second favorite episode? Uh, second favorite would be uh, Five Characters in Search, in, of, an in Search of an Exit. Yeah. That one. Oh, um, I have a fun fact about that. So this movie that not too many people may be aware of called The Cube, which is oh, a... Yeah. Yes. yeah that is ba- that was mm-hmm. that episode inspired uh that movie you know what i always say that is the perfect um yeah i just left netflix play and then like uh, now i'm watching this yeah like that, that is the, the <laughs> yeah, perfect I mean, movie for that I, you the way i found it is i was with um friend of the pod kyle lewis uh he took me to this bar in new york when i was there for <laughs> new uh dcm and this bar i wish i remember the name it's every they it's just a shot bar which normally i'm like Whoa. Hard pass. Uh, but <laughs> every shot is themed, and there is a song and prop that goes with every shot. So he did the, he did the like, Bret Hart <laughs> like, <laughs> shot. And he comes out. He So he starts playing Sexy Boy, and the bartender comes out with his mic. And I'm, I don't know that's the gimmick of the bar yet. I'm just thinking, oh, this guy really knows <laughs> Kyle. And he hands Kyle the uh, the microphone, and he's like putting him. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> and then like after like seeing everyone kind of do theirs, uh, their songs, I figured out that was it. But in the background on the TV, Cube was playing on the L Ray Network, and that's when I was watching it in with no sound but enthralled. And then it went straight to Cube too. <laughs> I want to say L Ray Network is like the other channel that's not sports in every yeah. bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's have it on. You have a 50 50 chance of either Lucha Underground or some true, true, true. like from under, Dust Till like Dawn. Loca- yeah. <laughs> but I was like super into it. Like Kyle was blown away by how into the cube I was. And I had the Wikipedia open. So that's how <laughs> I found bar, out I that. Love it. Yeah, I was so not present at the bar. This is what happens when you're married and you go to a bar and you start <laughs> Wikipedia. Yeah, bringing up some facts, some cool facts. If you ever got to tell you earlier, because you know how I love dropping facts about my family and they appreciate yeah. when I do it on here. But you know how Rod Serling, they said, no, finish your school uh, instead of enlisting. Mm-hmm. So my mom, um, this is kind of Twilight Zony. My mom wanted to be a nun. Oh, my wow. family was so religious. They're so, so hardcore Catholic. My family's so hardcore yeah. Catholic that my mom wanted to be a nun when she was 16. And she talked to a nun. She wanted to join the the nunnery, the monastery, yeah. whatever it's called, the nunnery, um, where they make nuns. <laughs> and um, the nuns told her, finish school, like go to college, and and then come back. And if you still want to be a nun, you know, 
we'll talk. So my mom went to college and she never came back. No. <laughs> I would not you, be alive. Exactly. That was I would saying. not you be alive. didn't exist. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. That my should... mom went to college and was like, nope, this is too good. Yeah. Uh, well, she did meet my dad in college. But um, yeah. <laughs> Isn't like, that crazy? That's actually kind of a decision that Rod Serling would probably roll with. Um, if you notice in a lot of themes in Twilight Zone, he is constantly afraid of isolation. Yeah. Like, that is always, like, a, a theme in, what was it, uh, the stopwatch. The I forgot the name of the one where the guy broke his glasses, the one everyone knows. Time Enough at Last? Yes. What was it? Uh, there. Bridges Meredith. Yes. Big, uh, yeah. Every, everything that was like his big fear, it, mm-hmm. it feels like he was writing in a room. It's just like, I hate being alone. And that was always the demise of some of his best characters. Yeah. yeah. Um, so speaking of Rod Serling, he uh, said that he was compelled by the need to not just entertain, but to enlighten. So he wrote 93 of the series' 156 episodes over the course of its five-season run, which began on CBS in 1959. Yeah, so so at 10 p.m. on Friday, October 2nd, 1959, CBS television broadcast the pilot episode of a new series, The Twilight Zone. So the copy in CBS's newspaper ad for the debut episode, Where Is Everybody? Remember that one? (laughs) Um, uh, That started a, a phenomenon. It's kind of fascinating, too, that it was on some of the episodes I feel like would be kind of scary. Well, I guess it was late. 10 p.m. is late for adults. But I, I, you know, I watched them when I was younger. My mom was most afraid of The Invaders um, because that is an episode which, by the way, fun fact, there's no dialogue. Hmm. There's no dialogue in The Invaders uh, except for the very end. Um, But, yeah, uh, it's a tiny little robot people um, with a big twist. I don't know. I guess we we have to have some spoilers in this in order to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, is that where you trying to like avoid spoilers? Yeah. I feel like. <laughs> well, I told you about the Twilight Zone. I looked up because like I'm always fascinated to see what are what are ranked as the top Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah. Mine change for me all the time, depending on what I'm going through in my life. And um, I was reading a uh, an article that had like the top ten best Twilight Zone episodes. And at the bottom of the article, someone wrote, um, "Way to spoil it, man!" <laughs> and the author was like, "It's been out for." over 50 years yeah, yeah. it's half a century old my guy I'm and also sorry. just referenced in like futurama the simpsons yeah. it, it's one of those family guy it's like, like it, you're gonna get someone culture. to say that for everything yeah, yeah. yeah. people uh, just want to just point that finger and it's like, like whoa the titanic sank yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it so during the original series, uh, Twilight Zone's writers frequently used science fiction as a vehicle for social comment, as networks and sponsors who censored controversial material from the live dramas were less concerned in seemingly innocuous fantasy and sci-fi stories. It's the age-old creator's trick. It's even used to this day. Like how you might be wondering, how did Donald Glover get a show as weird as atlanta made well the pilot if you notice is very like seems very linear seems very narrative Mm -hmm. and it seems like it's presenting a different story that we never get to see that was how they got it greenlit Mm -hmm. if you actually look at the script it's even more so they give a whole background about him being in college as an intro is it's a it's a trojan horse technique oh Uh man it's so bamboozled but like at the end of the day kind of like with the original pilot Mm -hmm. You know, the network can't argue with popularity. If it's popular, they're going to let you do whatever they want, even if they would have blocked you otherwise. Yeah. That's that's the funny thing. It's funny that it existed back in the 50s still to this day. You got the people, you know, and look, don't take offense if you are someone who is considering giving me money uh, to make a show (laughs) and you're listening for background. This is just, you know, just, just chat. But you find these creators and you want to pay us because you know we're creative. But there's a little something in you that are that are afraid of new and kind of things because you're a creature of science uh, when you're a suit. You're like, I have the data of the shows that have worked. I have the data of the shows that don't work. Yep. But it isn't until that new hot thing happens, usually by either a fluke, a Trojan horse technique, <laughs> or just finally someone being being like that dude – that they get full license. They, um, they made it with their own money. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, you know, even though you know now it's, he's 
you know, not that that in vogue, but like Louis was able to make Louis because he bought everything. And that's mm-hmm. he was at the point in his career where he can afford to take that hit because you take a big financial hit. Like, yeah, you yeah. need to. So so he really had to go out of pocket and or you do. So like even back then you had to do creative techniques to say what you really want to say as a creative. And Rod Sterling used science fiction. I feel like Sterling. that was a long road. Rod Serling, <laughs> use science fiction. Actually, keep that in so people know how often I've I've said Sterling instead of Serling. Um, <laughs> Danny has kept. I know. Me. Well, I mean, I have it like. Oh yeah. It's no, a, I mean, this is It was your between. Dude. No, it was between the the Dragon Ball tattoo or I was gonna get Twilight Zone. I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying I grew <laughs> up with them. Okay, people, and yeah. I both have, I have artwork and walls dedicated to them. But no, you're right. Actually, Serling he found the series very difficult to sell actually few critics felt that science fiction could transcend empty escapism as they thought uh and enter the realm of adult drama but um the there were frequent themes on the twilight zone which included nuclear war mccarthyism that was very popular um and mass hysteria uh both i think which are tackled in the monsters are due on maple street i'm gonna have both you twilight zone nerds back it up and explain what happens on Monsters. <laughs> oh, I would love yeah. to. Absolutely. Yeah. Because is, I want, um... I'm going I'm to say, look, we're going to explain some of these because I know some uh, of the nerd fam is like, I want to hear this, but Danny's trying to like save the pl- twist. You know what? Just watch it. It's still good even when you know the it twist. Is. It, it is. really yes, is. Absolutely. I, I think feel like... Oh. I was just going to say, going forward, um, I think it would be easier to just, yeah, we're going to give some of the twists away. I apologize. You can turn this off and then and watch just, all no, five seasons. Don't turn just, it off. No, just, 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 just listen and watch the twist. <laughs> I've no, I knew the twist of The Eye of the Beholder before I saw it, and it still was such yeah, a Yeah, it's still fun, dope. Compli- also, it's black and white, episode. and it's like creepy as hell. These are, Wait, I know all of these twists, and I still watch them like every <laughs> month. If I didn't tell you this, but the last guy that I was dating, uh, I think you know who it is. I, I brought him over. We're not dating anymore, so apparently this technique doesn't work. Um, but we were sitting on my couch, and I actually made him watch like two Twilight Zone episodes. I am that guy. Yeah, I am that guy that'll sit you down and make you watch Reservoir Dogs yeah, or something. I made out. him watch, uh, I think, The Howling Man and The Midnight Sun because that's my my second favorite. You like just drop a litmus test in the middle of the day. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like jamming with this. We good. Let's talk about the monsters are doing Maple Street. <laughs> yes. One of the perfectly executed, still extremely relevant commentary on mob mentality. Uh, you could watch it tonight and it would still resonate today, 100%, probably even more, uh, with how humans treat each other, how quickly are to point fingers and ruin people's lives. Um, and I just want to read this quote from Rod Serling uh, that's at the very end of the episode. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. And a thoughtless, frightened search for a scapegoat has a fallout all of its own for the children and the children yet unborn. And the pity of it is that these things cannot be confined to the Twilight Zone. Oh, I have chills. Man. Like, Man. It, he was a genius in every way. And it, especially, like, this particular episode, I always feel like, was uh, one of the biggest catalysts in terms of style that I see things, like, in uh, a lot of Stephen King stories. Like, a lot oh, of yeah. their stories have always built up in mobs and everything like that. And it's always from something simple. And that's exactly where this originated from in this story, where it was just an idea from a child, mm-hmm. a small fear. And that fear equal to something else inside of adults. They had the same level of like... Uh, oh, is this the one where the kid's afraid of a monster and gets the whole town to like... Kind of. So what yeah. happens in The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street is the lights go out on uh, Maple Street. And um, and everybody is kind of like, why did the lights go out? But wait a second, why is the light on in your house? Or why is the light on in his house? And so they're all kind of like talking together. And the kid in the story was like, oh, this is like in my comic book when there were these monsters or aliens or whatever he says. Yeah. And they're like, how did the kid know? Um, <laughs> and so they end up really starting to accuse each other of knowing why, like, why is the light going on in your house? And and um, somebody leaves to go and check, and they see this person. They start to get to this frantic 
part where they're just blaming each other where the person starts to walk back and and um they can't see him in the darkness and they shoot him and um you pan out and you see these two aliens watching (laughs) and one of them turns to the other and is like so is this how it is everywhere he was like yeah you could do this on any street yeah oh wow they'll just kill each other essentially wow that's wild and true yeah Perfect. And I yeah. feel like that is that's such a commentary. Also, I I feel like, um, see, I don't remember any of the deep ones. The one I remember was where that guy wanted to. I think he like he wanted to go be bigger, and then everything <laughs> you, starts. You would remember that one. Yeah, yeah. and then everything <laughs> starts bigger, and the twist is that he was shrinking. Like that's the one I remember. That's a that's a classic like Serling thing. Um, the Midnight Sun, which is one of my favorites, uh, is that they're moving closer to the sun, and that's also kind of terrifying. It's like um, them starting to get you know more more desperate, and then you wake up and they're actually moving farther away. So that was his. Uh, yeah, he, he had a lot of those twists in there. Yeah. But um yeah, the monsters are due on Maple Street. I actually had to read that in uh it was made into a play and I read that in English class in high school. Hmm. But I, I feel like that's still relevant where people can oh, be yeah. watching us or watching Americans or watching like, yeah, they'll just destroy each other. Yeah. Yeah, we don't even have to really we just have to like kind of poke them a little bit. But it's also funny because it was like it was the aliens. Yeah. <laughs> like that kid said it was the aliens and That's true. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's it, like a love double it was, layer. It was just a like kind of a coincidence or yeah. anything like that. But uh there's one thing I will say about Sterling that was really great in terms of um like I think every writer can learn from him in terms of this. When their budget dropped and CBS was like, uh, you're gonna have to do this in like one set in the studio, make all these outlandish episodes and everything like that, the quality actually kind of went up. And uh, these isolated stories that were driving characters like uh, the there's the one story I do not remember the title and, I'm, and uh, anybody can correct me online I got you <laughs> but, uh, but uh, there's a lady who is constantly walking and running down a corridor in a hospital and every time uh, she gets to the end and there's a morgue there and there's a nurse and the nurse is just like room for one more and. Uh, it's just this constant fear of dread and death that, and like uh, he's so good at that. Like uh, regular, just like jump scares weren't his thing, but dread, just yeah. like mortality is going to catch up with you. It's really great in in terms of that. But that particular story is so perfect in terms of like if you have a small space and you have zero budget, mm-hmm. this is how you do it. You yeah. got really yeah. I think uh, so. In season two, uh, due to budgetary constraints, the network decided against Serling's wishes to cut costs by shooting some episodes on videotape rather than film. And the requisite multi-camera setup of the videotape format precluded location shooting, and that severely limited the the scope of the storylines. And, and the experiment was abandoned after just six episodes. And I should say that the season one was 30 minutes long. Uh, mm-hmm. Season four, which was from 1962 to 63, consists of one-hour episodes. Oh, They're wow. kind of long. Yeah. They're kind of long they act- <laughs> if you uh, watch them. They actually, actually did not want that at all, either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then season five returned to the the half-hour format. I would say one and two are my favorite uh, seasons, though. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into more of the history, as well as the other Twilight Zone revivals and the future one right after this break. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. 
If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back talking Europe. more about <laughs> that was a weird noise. What? what? Europe? Do you, Europe? Yeah. Europe. Um, I thought you were like. <laughs> I was doing like Europe. We are indeed back. <laughs> talking about the Twilight Zone. Um, so I do want to say for everyone that's mad about reboots or that we're doing reboots now. I mean, reboots have been around forever because yeah. the Twilight Zone was rebooted. Uh, in the 80s, actually, the first uh, reboot ran on CBS uh, in nineteen in the 1980s, and then the second ran on UPN from 2002 to 2003. And now we have a fourth one that will be on CBS All Access uh, from Jordan Peele, which we actually know some of the writers on there. Yeah. So did you, Melo, did you watch any of those 80s ones? Or uh, any of them stand out for you? <laughs> yeah, uh, I've seen a few of the 80s ones. Um like uh, I believe uh, recently we were speaking about the chameleon, and that one definitely stood out to me uh, in in terms of uh, its kind of like strange structure. The overall, the just the alien transforming into different things, and there's like a particular guy that's like chasing after the alien. But yeah, like a lot of '80s ones, uh, they're very, very, very weird. Cut yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, I can imagine because <laughs> it was a wild time. Also, like when you have. Like, it's funny because I do think you can reboot things that, you know, maybe weren't that great or just kind of like left it open or kind of have the person who helmed it take it over a la Fury Road, you know. But when you have something like Twilight Zone, which was this phenomenon that kind of blew up to try and just simply reboot it. And he and Sterling wasn't a part of it. He actually sold his shares uh, and CBS, you know, kind of did it and they actually stood to earn more but they were still kind of little on the fence about it and it seemed like it did okay like it didn't have the same popularity but there were some episodes that were kind of like they're like no, CBS turned down okay so they turned down offers from the original production team of Rod Serling and Buck Houghton uh, who Buck wor- uh, worked they worked so closely together I yeah. think he worked on almost like every episode of the original Twilight Zone because his mm-hmm. name is all over it I always see his name every single time um, at least in a lot of the episodes that I watch and <laughs> they also turned down from Francis Ford Coppola oh wow so we could have had a, <laughs> a, a Twilight Zone from Francis Ford Coppola I'm curious of what that would have been now you know, like what's that discussion like yeah yeah <laughs> like what what is that take yeah uh so they ended up green lighting it in 1984 under the supervision of carla singer uh who was then the vice president of drama development um i wasn't a big fan of them uh but you know i there there was also we have to talk about the twilight zone movie which i liked yeah. parts of it yeah um great. so kind of had a similar feel to me oh you liked it yeah uh, actually Love the Twilight Zone movie, oddly enough. What was it? Uh, I, I like the the Spielberg chapter as yes. well as uh, I like the the revival of uh, the ten thousand foot uh, feet nightmare mm-hmm. uh, scenario, which uh, it was a big improvement over the. the, the what? W- How dare you? The, uh, all right, if you're listening to this, Google image William Shatner Twilight Zone. Every image you'll get from that uh-huh. is hilarious of his reactions, hamming it up at like just um, the costume Yeti so in great. the window. Like it's so good. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't no. Speak your truth. I'm sorry. I'm not trying <laughs> no, to. No, I'm no, not no, trying no, to eye daggers at you. <laughs> um, uh, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. Mm. Yes, is the infamous William Shatner episode of the original Twilight Zone, uh, which 
chronicled a man who was actually just uh, done from being hospitalized for a breakdown. So that that was also a part of it. Uh, also, could I just say, so he was he was completely terrified on this flight. Not only did he see a Yeti-ish type of figure on the wing, which inspired the very famous Jim Carrey um, scene from Ace, Ace Nature <laughs> yeah. Calls. Yeah. Yeah. There's something on the wing. He doesn't sound like that if you go back and watch it. But um, <laughs> what I was going to say is also, hello, flying back then was terrifying. <laughs> okay, now you think like, oh yeah, flying is terrifying for people now. Think back then. Okay, it was, I mean, one, they could smoke. So that's cool. But like also your plane could catch on fire um, because they were smoking, I think, in it, as they were in all of these. Um, This is not an anti-PSA for smoking. You can do whatever you want with your body. I just think on a flight, (laughs) you know. um, We're sharing air supply. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was also a part of it that I think a lot of people forget is that this man was coming off of having a, a breakdown. So it was, did he actually see this creature on the wing or was it in his head? So, but yes, speaking of the film, they did, so the Twilight Zone movie uh, came out in 1983. They did recreate that scene. So it starred Dan Aykroyd, Albert Brooks, John Lithgow, um, the late Vic Morrow, and Scatman Cruthers. John Linus directed the prologue and the first segment. Steven Spielberg directed the second. Joe mm-hmm. Dante, the third. And George Miller directed the final segment, which I didn't know. Um, Landis's episode became notorious for a helicopter accident during filming that caused the deaths of Morrow and... And two child actors. Oh, wow. Crap, I just found out about that. I forgot about that. My friend was talking about that. Um, Yeah, I guess we should move on. (laughs) Yeah, to the second revival, because there was many more. Well, before there, before the second revival, there was Rod Serling's Lost (laughs) Classics in 1994, uh, when uh, basically Richard Matheson and Carol Serling produced a an outline for a two-hour made-for-TV movie, which would feature, you know, uh, Matheson's adaptation of three yet-unfilmed Rod Serling short stories. And uh, outlines for the production were rejected by CBS until early 1994, when Serling's widow discovered a complete shooting script uh, for Where the Dead Are, authored by Serling himself. And while rummaging, uh, she found that while rummaging through her garage, like, can you imagine just having, like, just scripts. That man was a genius. Yes. Like, I don't, like, oh, man, it, it is, it, I'm angry at how good yeah. it was. Just constantly just like, I have an idea I can form. Also, like, in the digital age, that's never going to happen unless, like, I found <laughs> this random thumb drive. I'm just gonna <laughs> there. Hey, don't look at it. Yeah. Found this buried Dropbox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so then there was a second revival from 2002 to 2003, and that was on UPN. It was hosted by Forrest Whitaker. Actually, I do remember that one. Um, It was a one-hour format. Why are you giggling? We'll we'll get into it. Uh, With two half-hour stories, it was canceled after one season. It's Still a Good Life is a sequel to It's a Good Life. Is that what you were talking about? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street is an adaptation of The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, and Eye of the Beholder is a remake of an episode from the original series. Yeah, so they had some of the same uh, ones. And they had Serling still credited as a writer, as he was, because he came up with a lot of those concepts. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a lot of those stories actually, uh, like we were saying, are sequels to uh, mm-hmm. the original stories. Uh, I'll, I'll let the audience decide if they lived up to them or not. Um, in terms of uh, it's still a good life, um, that one is incredibly dark. Where the like um, we we touched on a little bit, where it's the little boy who has the psychic ability, where he is actually reading people's minds and is actually judging if they are having good thoughts or not, and it's of his own accord. Of that he's just like, I don't like what you're thinking. And then he would point at someone and they would end up in a cornfield. And that was the original one. Yeah. Um, in the sequel, he's actually a full-grown adult. He has a child. He is worse. He has uh, recreated, ironically enough, this is, if you could find this on like uh, YouTube or anything like that, uh, go for it. It's still a good life. He has created basically a, um, like Trump's America using uh, psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decided, like, I don't like tall buildings. Got rid of them. I don't like cars. I don't. I got rid of them. And um, he's actually changed the world in a way where he's just murdering things way worse than he was before. And now he has a daughter with powers stronger than his. Um, it is a very strange watch. The ending is super off-putting. Um, oh, God. The oh, last wow. line of dialogue um, will make you 
probably angry. <laughs> and uh, oh, no. it, it is it is uh, quite a thing to watch. Now I'm going to have to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street. The sequel for that, uh, which is just the monsters are on Maple Street. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I read it wrong. No, you're fine. That one right there is particularly, um, I, I'll put it like this. If you remember what we just said about the plot of that, imagine someone writing a sequel to that post uh like 911 well it, it's mm-hmm. it's very much uh mm. it's a mob that looks very familiar if you know what i mean yeah yeah oh. but yeah no it's it's uh it is like interesting <laughs> because like both those things that were created sequels for it's funny because you don't need the sequels Not it seems all. like it's saying the same thing <laughs> yeah like there's no added context because the thing that is being said in the original is just all you need <laughs> yeah yeah the the other thing about that particular run was uh or l- listen you can you can come at me in my mentions if you like it but there's episodes that border on like uh, unintentionally funny like um the Usher as a as a police officer oh, episode uh, where he's fighting a ghost pimp, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that that leads to a conclusion where you're just like, okay, that, that happened. Where and like it's very very early two thousands filming as oh, well. Oh yeah, where it's like, uh, why is the trash can CGI? in the background it was like playstation (laughs) 1 cgi i love it just because they kind of have the technology they're gonna use it like just do it we got that upn money you know yeah wow (laughs) and then um there's oh man it it is classic the uh the katherine heigl will she kill baby hitler storyline she just she goes back in time it's a question asked by many yes and and the ending to that like um I, I just had to go for a walk because of like it's it's so ridiculous. Like I feel like people are gonna watch this new reboot for a completely different reason than they might go watch the original <laughs> after and, listening to this. And the best part about it is that you can't look up the endings; you just gotta watch her. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I did want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, so there was the Twilight Zone game in 1964. Ideal released a board game, the Twilight Zone game, at the height of the show's popularity. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. So the game consisted of a cardboard plane surface, four colored plane pieces, a colored spinning wheel, and 12 door playing cards. There was also very popular was the Twilight Zone pinball game, which I love. Oh, yeah. I always, I actually, being the nerd that I am, uh, was Googling Twilight Zone on eBay, as you do when you're Danny Fernandez on a Friday night. And I found uh, somebody had like a piece of the pinball uh game that has Rod Serling with like his arms crossed and so I have that uh, framed on my wall. That's a really oh, nice. good pinball game. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah, it's really also really great. cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And then there were also comic books uh, which are <laughs> this is this is such an insight into my life. I was going to say comic books which you can also find on eBay. They're very cheap. Uh, you can look up the, the Twilight Zone comic books. They, for me, just make good art. Um, I keep some of them intact so don't freak out. Uh, but they're also worth like $5 um so yeah you can you can pick up some of the they actually had different um different stories than than what was just in the in the show do you have a favorite comic out of that list i they're so absurd like all of them (laughs) i'm like what is gonna look as good now that i'm 30 because that's like my art i'm like i need it to you know be kind of nerdy but also speak to me and be eloquent and it's all just like you know some like tentacles coming out or something (laughs) um or whatever like they just look like the old school uh comics from the 60s which they were but but a lot of them are kind of crazy looking it's like no budget restraints yeah 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 (laughs) Uh, and I think one of the most known attractions for uh, Twilight Zone outside of just the show itself would be the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, which was uh, a theme park attraction based on the original Twilight Zone series uh, designed by the Walt Disney Imagineers. And the attraction is a fixture at two. It was at the Disney's Hollywood Studios, mm-hmm. Florida, yep. Yep. and uh and the Walt Disney Park in Paris. And uh, 
There was one at Disney California Adventure, uh, but it has been altered to adopt a theme for the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, which I have yet to ride the Guardians of the Galaxy one. I was very bummed. There's always like a four-hour line over there. Yeah, I was very (laughs) bummed for missing Tower Terror because it always had just the right level of creepiness where even if you're... Even if you've ridden it a million times, there's still like just this un- unexplainable creepiness of being in that hotel room, hearing uh, Rod Serling tell you the story of this elevator mm-hmm. and you getting in it and then seeing the ghost of everyone waving goodbye. Like they're like, you know, the I remember the first time I wrote it, it was like legitimately scary. And then after it's not as scary, but it's, there's still like a level to it that has like that. Ooh, kind of like in the same way that you some some twists still get that like tingly feeling on you when yeah. you think about it. I need to tell you something as big of a Twilight Zone head. I can't say Twilight head because that's the wrong franchise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, as big of a Twilight Zone head as I am uh, and grew up with. I kind of like Bernstein Berenstein uh, retroactively remembered this as an episode, and it wasn't. <laughs> this was created for this ride. This was not a real episode. Yeah. Uh, and I know, I mean, you can tell when you watch it when you're in the ride, you can tell like, oh, no, this was made from like, you know, more recent actors or whatever. But I always just assume they're recreating it. No, yeah. there was no Tower of Terror episode. And I don't know why forever, because I was on a Twilight Zone episode. I was on a, like a podcast where we were talking about it like a year or so ago. Um, and and uh, I was talking about the episode. And then later, nobody, by the way, online corrected me. So God bless them <laughs> or else nobody listened to that episode. That is a, that is a miracle in um, itself. But, but later when I got home, read, oh, um, that wasn't a real episode. I never actually watched it. And uh, I... Well, it feels so real when you're watching it. You, there is like yeah. a level that you're like, this has to be based on an episode. Why would I was like, it? oh, yeah, I remember seeing it. And then the yeah. people, like, they get stuck and blah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. Um, that's not at all embarrassing. But what I, I do want to say is the, um, the, re- the way that I was introduced to it, which I think a lot of people around our age, was the... Marathon, the Twilight Zone Marathon. Um, So here's a little lore on that as far as it being a history of holiday tradition because it was only normally run as a marathon during the holidays, Um, still kind of. Uh, So the origins of the New Year's Eve Twilight Zone Marathon uh, are kind of unknown. No one knows which regional TV station started syndicating the Twilight Zone reruns during that time um, or whether they began on New Year's at all. The first one, so this is a quote from KTLA program director Mark Sunnenberg um, in a 1991 article in the LA Times. He said the first one we did was on Thanksgiving in 1980. And so the the first Thanksgiving marathon was only eight hours long and received a 16% share. So that's kind of fascinating. So the Twilight Zone marathon that we all know and love was actually a Thanksgiving marathon. Very fitting, I might say, since you're around your family. And it seems, yeah, it, it, that's kind of like very Twilight Zony, depending yeah. on Dropping the, the relationship. On it, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> um, as to be expected for one of Danny's uh, favorite properties, we are running on time, uh, a little over. I mean, I guess we know the future of Twilight Zone technically because we know we have the Jordan Peele uh, show. No, but also if he, um, Leonardo DiCaprio was oh, interested. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that in our notes. Yeah. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is interested in possibly doing a feature, a future film, uh, which who knows if he's actually going to do that now that Jordan Peele yeah. is going to be. In yeah. I, I think he's like, I'll step down. Yeah. But it would be interesting because uh, on first thought, I'd be like, what? But also seeing how, like, Leonardo, or as I like to call him, Leo Dio, (laughs) is a huge, huge, huge activist for, like, environmental stuff. Oh, true, 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 true. I think it's that type of brain that's going to be able to, like, make that kind of, like, thing. Mm -hmm. But you can also end up with the happening. Uh, (laughs) And we all know how that went. Um, I enjoyed that film. You know what? You're not the only person who told me that. (laughs) I... Actually, also never seen it. <laughs> I asked to know. Here's what I do with a lot of M. Night Shyamalan's films now. I ask people what the twists are, and if <laughs> it seems <laughs> wild. No, and the only one that I've heard and been like, okay, I have to see it is Split. Like yeah. I was like, oh, oh, that's 
oh, I got to go. <laughs> Every other one, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I think that's because, like, that triggers, that, that just triggers the Marvel button yeah. that's in you. Oh, and, man, like, I want that really to blow out. Like, I need that whole universe just. <laughs> just get, well, yeah, I need after credits for this next one coming out. <laughs> um, But, yeah, if he, God, there's so much to cover. We didn't tackle... Like most, obviously, we're not going to go through all of the episodes, but even the most iconic ones. Um, I think we named, I would say Time Enough at Last is most people, a lot of people say it's at least in their top five. It's one of the most iconic ones yeah. where he steps on his glasses, which, by the way, um, just want to correct a couple things here. Everyone always thinks he's a librarian. He's not. He's a banker. Oh, gosh, I'm like actually in people. Yeah. But another thing is that he uh, he just wants to read and his wife is so and everyone in his life is so like rude to him um and so they all die uh and he's left alone because he went into a vault he's left alone and um to now he finally has time to read he steps on his glasses that's the end i don't understand why that's everyone's favorite because that man did not deserve that to happen (laughs) typically like look at you know it's so funny that everyone's like yeah and i love that and then he stepped on his glasses and it was like then he didn't have any time like he had all this time but he can't read it was like yeah he was he was bullied his whole life and then this and then he's the only man left alive and then he steps on his glass like it doesn't make sense. I mean, it does. I love you, Rod Serling. But um, it's funny to me that it's everyone's favorite when if you actually think of it, he wasn't the one that should have had that happen. Exactly. It's just like a, a kind of stopwatch has a similar theme where um, the, the ending has him breaking the stopwatch and the whole world is frozen. He's just stuck it like that from here on out. He previously had the ability to turn it on and off, but the minute the stopwatch breaks... It, he no longer is able to leave that universe. But the bigger thing about that was that he was robbing a bank when it broke. So he totally deserved that incident yeah. happening to him. Like, these things did have morals. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I mean, yeah, it's just so... But I guess what is more of the commentary is how unfair life is. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the commentary is even the good guy in a situation is getting screwed over. Oh, yeah. Um. So, yeah, we'll have to do another one of these where we can actually tackle... Maybe we'll have someone on and, and we'll kind of, like, debate and tackle some of our, our favorite episodes because there's so much to cover. Mm-hmm. I definitely highly recommend The Twilight Zone Companion. Um, there's just so much lore and history between, uh, about each of these episodes and Rod Serling himself. Um, yeah, but I think we have to tap out. Yeah. We have to hit that tap button. So where can people find you, Mel? Um, so the funny thing about screenwriting is that you actually can't say most of the things that you're working on. Oh, yeah. So uh, find me at like a coffee shop on a Tuesday. He's doing big things, people. Looking at deadlines and uh, panicking. American God season two is is going to be out next year. So yeah, yeah, appreciate that. And um, yeah, other than that, uh, you can always find me at uh, on Twitter at Mellow Marketer, and uh, you can find a lot of my work on Fanbros.com as well. Oh, nice, nice. And you know me, if you waddy way on uh, Twitter and Instagram, IFYNWADIWE, if D's on Twitch, lots of hashtag nerd fam showing up, dropping them Twitch Prime sums. I gotta thank y'all for that. But uh, keep listening. Also, we have a Discord now. I have the official Discord. Uh, it's just my Discord that I share with uh, th- two other streamers. But we have a Nerdificent chat where you can chat it up. I've had people come in the Twitch chat ask me to reserve a spot. But y'all ain't talking in there. Uh, granted, the last episode was just a movie that just came out. <laughs> spoiler, so I guess yeah. you can't talk. But but I'll see you in there after this episode. Tell us your favorite Twilight Zone apps. Please. I'm so, I'm going to have to like make a, yeah, I'll have to pop in there too. Or like, yeah. I know for Infinity War, we made um, on our Nerdificent uh, Twitter page, we made like a little group chat for all of us to yeah. geek out on Infinity War. So I might do that for Twilight Zone because it's just so much to cover and also just, yeah, and and I guess we didn't we didn't mention. I was like, and it's an anthology, meaning uh, we didn't we should have said that up top. Uh, meaning you can like watch any episode, and they're not, um, you know, uh, you don't have to watch them in order. What I was gonna say is, hi, I'm Danny Fernandez at um, MS Danny Fernandez on all of the socials, and Ify and I will be together on a couple of panels. I think I know at least we have a panel at 4 p.m. Yeah, Friday at. Podcasting. At at, at uh, San Diego Comic Con, which is this week, yeah, and check the um, check the Twitter because we're both 
posting all of our, yeah. our Comic-Con panels. And we have some cool merch yeah. now, which you can get at Public, And you can also find us at Comic-Con. And we might give you a shirt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, while supplies last. <laughs> and, of course, uh, before we head out of here, I want to shout out a couple of people. I want to shout out Super Producer Anna Hosnier, who uh, is always uh, holding her back. You know, Zach McKeever in the booth. And our researchers, Eve's Jetcoat and... Christopher Hasiotis. I, I don't know. I, we're not that close yet. I can't call him Chris. I don't know. Maybe we are. I'll email. All right, y'all. Stay nerdy. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.